0: Hello, and welcome to the Wedding Dish Podcast. Grab your fork and knife and take a seat at our table as we dish on all things weddings. You'll hear stories and tips from real couples and wedding pros about life, love, and entrepreneurship. Let's dish. That's Sarah Alipin, host of The Wedding Dish and CEO of Photos from the Hardy and District Bliss. And that is my amazing guest co-host today, newly married Taylor De La Fuente, and she is the owner of Lemon Tree Editorial, who specializes in copywriting for the wedding uh, for wedding professionals. Um, so, thank you so much for being here, Taylor. Thank you, thank you, <laughs> and. Let's go ahead and start. Let's dish. Uh, today we are talking with Sahar Maserati, who is a super cool lady, extremely talented, and um she is the owner of Sugar Alchemy, which um we'll have to have you explain the background of that because it's not spelled the way you think. Um, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Well, thank you both, Sarah and Taylor, for having me. What a pleasure and an honor. And um, so the dish about why I called it Sugar Alchemy, but I spelled it the way it is, is A-L-K-Y-M-I. I I think um, because I had a uh, chemistry major and I wanted my name kind of have something with that background and why Mm. I was obsessed with that mindset of, Bringing, you know, the, the the chemistry background behind it because the taste and the, the, the all that ingredients playing, it was important for me. But alchemy was, um well, written in, in English, A, the website was taken. So I was like, okay, how can I get this? How can I get this? And then uh. it, it just hit me as I was talking to my sister, but I was like, I really love this name. It's just, it's just, I don't want to give it up. And as we were talking, um, all of a sudden it just hit me. Um, I grew up in Denmark and all this love affair with pastries and sugar artistry and all that, it literally started from there and alchemy is spelled A-L-K-Y in Danish. And I was like, that's it. I want to give a gratitude to my upbringing in Denmark. I'm not Danish by blood, obviously, but that's that's how i got to it so it was purely because the website was taken and <laughs> and i had to come up with a creative idea and and what better than giving thanks to my um to my adopted heritage as i call it <laughs> yeah
0: I love that. That's so cool. I had no idea you grew up in Denmark. I did know you got the inspiration from the Danish word. Um, But that's so cool. Denmark is one of my favorite places and also one of the last trips that I took.
1: Wow. Where did you go? Which cities did you visit? We were in Copenhagen. Awesome. That's that's where I went to university and I, I grew the last part of my residency in Denmark. So it's a beautiful city. Really beautiful. Yeah. I'm glad you visited this. So now you know a little bit about the background.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. And since you just mentioned your residency, um, let's start from what was your life prior to being a business owner? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that loaded question! I love it um, very different, but yet at the same time very similar i um I think I had the blessing by living in the bay area. I got kind of uh, just sucked into the world of um, residential management. By um, you know, I've always been working in corporate world here and there in real estate and um, finances. But it was early. It was in the middle of two thousand seven, two thousand six, two thousand seven. A friend of mine um, said, "You know what, Sahar? It would be such a cool." Um, A job for you if you get into the residential management and I'm like how come she said it's just your personality fits it and it was seriously by her recommendation and her hooking me up with the position that they needed later on I found that she really needed the job so she was just pushing she was a great salesperson and I and I was like yeah and it was an amazing experience because you know I always say connecting the dots it really it really um kind of shake me into who I am as a business owner because that mentality and that mindset of working for a corporate America just define you as a different human being. In my opinion, like the things that you experience as working for corporate America, it's very different than running your business, yet the fundamentals are required. So I feel like all the things that I was exposed to and, and, and doing the job, and I can say... Um, I can say that I was very blessed to have a very lucrative position at the end, really working my way up from very starting to becoming, you know, um, the, they called me the queen of lease ups because I would be actually the, the manager who would take over their, um, the lease up project, which is a very niche project it's a very niche position in that industry Mm -hmm. and that's all i did like i uh, managed six projects or seven i think toward the end of it seven projects from zero ground to leasing it up fully um Fully getting established, meaning you have your um, all the residences occupying to about ninety five percent occupancy, and so I was known for that in the Bay Area, and I loved it. I loved the position, I loved the environment, but it was also it has it had also its own prices and costs, and and it was affecting my mental health and my emotional health toward the end. Mm. Because of all the struggles that I was going through with everything that, that, that happens in corporate America. And, and as much as I love that part of my life because it, it guided me to be who I am, but I also felt the need that this was a time for me to shift. Um, I'm very spiritual about this because I always say I was meant to be for more. I was meant to do more and. I always give at this point I give credit to my current partner because we had just met and he got a job offer he's also he was also in tech industry and he is still and so he got a job offer to start in California and I literally took that as an opportunity to say please take that and please allow me to pursue this dream which mm-hmm. was you know giving myself a the, the position he he was being offered was a year project and so I really took advantage of that and i think trusting my own gut feeling and trusting myself which i don't think i would have ever saw that possibility had i not been with him because i was so determined and 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 being so driven in the position that i had and because i had worked so hard into to getting to where i was i was mm-hmm. very committed to that despite all the i think the toxic environment that i was in for my own self well being but I loved it. And I think that's the biggest struggle most um most corporate people, whether I think you're a you're a woman or a man, but mainly women I think at least in my case, it was a struggle to say no to that. It was a struggle to say no to a very well-paid position, a very um, luxurious lifestyle that I enjoyed having. And there's no shame in that. Like we work for that. I work for that and I still work for that. So the struggle that I personally experienced was how can I maintain the lifestyle, the position that I have made for myself, but owning my own business. And it really hit me one night. I said, I work 14 to 17 hours every day, no weekends, every day. Yeah, I get compensated very well, but when you divide the hours, if that's if that's what it is, um and and it was it was that moment that if I worked that much for for another party, what if I worked that much for myself, would I be able to achieve the same results? Um some people may say i was a little bit naive and i think i had people laughing at me because you know i gave up a very lucrative position to pursue something that we all know that there is no like um necessarily um success strategy behind it and especially um especially i think the environment i grew up or was and, and all that so a lot of the i think negative mindset from the upbringing and all the cultural thing and also being in a society that um art is not necessarily, at least with my, you know, in my background, art wasn't necessarily something you pursue as a career. It's something you do as a hobby, you know, and the rebel that I am, I was trying to prove that, that no, you can, this is the land of opportunity. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an example and proof of the American dream. I came to America because I wanted it to pursue that dream. So this is it. I'm not getting any younger. I'm not, you know, this is my opportunity. And okay, what if I did take a leap and what if I did pursue that and it didn't work out there is always the least opposition for me I can always go back to that and so that was the whole inspiration behind it and I do openly thank my my partner for it because he was the rock that I needed at that point to support to support my mindset to support my um my gut, my gut feeling my and to support me trusting myself Um, Of course, I did it. But I think I think where I was in life, I owe it to him. And I always say you people come into your life for for purposes and reasons. And I hopefully I'll, I'll be with him for the rest of my life. But that is definitely one of the reasons why I met him because he he allowed me to pursue my dream. And I'm very thankful for that, that I did. And I have not looked back, obviously. I'm not in lease ops anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, although it was a great community, I'm still in, you know, uh, friends with a lot of my coworkers and, you know, all my bosses and all that. So... Um, uh, so I really appreciate the experience as harsh as it was on me, but I really appreciate because it groomed me to who I am and take my, my, my little business really seriously. I think, I think it, it made me where I am for that. So I, I owe that. I owe that. Um, I owe that experience to, to, to my current success for sure. So, uh, I, I resonate with like. Five million
2: things that you just said, like, and I think (laughs) every entrepreneur listening gets that. Like, it, it, there are some good things, there are some bad things about the corporate career. It's, it can be soul sucking and draining, but it also, like, it gives you so much. It teaches you those lessons that you would have had to learn for yourself the hard way if you just, you know, started your own business and never had worked for anybody else and before. And then, you know, it gives you the financial freedom. And some people are lucky enough to have like a partner be the support system that helps them launch their business. And mm-hmm. some people do it themselves. And mm-hmm. like that corporate job is their mm-hmm. support system. Mm-hmm. It's your corporate, it's your exactly. income from your corporate job that's exactly. floating yep. your dream. So yeah. oh, I just, yeah.
1: yes. Yeah. And you nailed it. I think, um, so with me, my personality, I'm one of those people I say that I can. I cannot multitask two different jobs. Like I cannot be um, a working mom and then do this on this. Like I can't do side hustles necessarily fully. Yeah. So I either have to do this and that. And I think... But like once I tell you the journey of how it became where I am, it, it, it makes sense. Like for me, I would have never been a, I as a person could not been able to do that in, in the short term that I was able to do if, if I had remained my, my nine to five job, which I actually would have had at this point, um, had I not had the mental at least support and the financial support and the emotional support, which you need, like let's not joke about it it's like i'm very realistic i'm very um um transparent like it's it's not all that like oh i decided to do this so here it is and it's all like you know um dreamy no it's mm-hmm. really hard work and so let's not let's not joke around about that you know and so giving up a security blanket you know financial security blanket is not a joke it's a serious matter so yeah i really appreciate that part so and you nailed it taylor yeah it's a lot of people cannot take it that leap of faith because of that and and i respect that i i would have been there too so yeah
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i'm with you too i i never worked in corporate but i was a teacher so oh. <laughs> you learned, <laughs> yeah
2: i was gonna say <laughs> that
0: That is corporate. It's like its own
2: version (laughs) of corporate, like the education system is its own version. And Sarah has her own horror stories from her times doing that of, I'm sure, good things and bad things.
1: Yeah, no. Working in school, it's like, no, are you kidding me? That that tops corporate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's a very different beast. I can't really relate to what um, my husband, Philippe, does on a regular basis because- it's so far from what i've ever experienced. Yeah.
1: No, i hear you. I agree completely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so
2: you you've gotten you've gotten out of the corporate spider mm-hmm. web and you're now living your best life mm-hmm. doing your artistry which is baking, right?
1: Um it, it's kind of a combination and i love it how you say you the dream. But let me let me let me draw the picture. It was far from a dream so uh, (laughs) that's where the transparency comes that's where that aha moment (laughs) what did you get yourself in and what like no let me tell you taylor and this is where this is where i think um this is where i think it if you're not meant to be an entrepreneur this is a great example if you pursue a dream don't fool yourself if you really want to be so this is where i was going i i took the idea of i want to turn my hobby and this is exactly what it was because i knew i'm not going to have a side hustle necessarily to be able to make an income so for the past Two decades, this was a hobby. This was a refuge. Every single opportunity I would get, I would go take classes, courses here and there, have fun creating purely for joy, right? So the idea in 2017 was, well, if I love doing this so much as a hobby, why can I not turn it into a lucrative business? That was the mindset. And that's where I think the reality hit me. And I was for six months really, really struggling. And let me tell you what the struggles was. um. even though as um, open-minded I was, even though as I would say experienced I was, even though as much of a planner I was, even though I wrote a business plan, even though I had all kind of my checks in order, but here's the reality. Once you start something, you really experience the issues because mm-hmm. uh, theory is one thing, practicality is another thing. And that's, I think it's like, Imagine you go, like I studied medicine, I went to med school, but I, I dropped out when I came to US. So imagine you go to med school, and then you learn all the theories. But then once you go to your residency at the hospital, you realize you have no clue what the heck you're doing. And all the learning was nothing, right? So I literally experienced that all the things that I thought because I had my corporate background and I knew about how to run a business with other people's money, I thought, okay, now I can do it on my own. Well, the reality hit for me, at least in my case, it wasn't necessarily my experience because... I knew how to bake, which was one thing, and I knew how to decorate, which was the other main thing. But here was the problem. At the moment that I had decided to take a leap and, and pursue this hobby as a, as, a, as a business, I still didn't have a voice. I still didn't know what my expertise is. I still didn't have a vision of of my, my, my thing, my it, mm-hmm. my niche. And, but I, one thing I knew for sure was, I definitely did not want to be um, a copycat or or competing with anybody or all those things, right? I didn't want. And so these were the struggles. I wanted to become unique. That was my goal from the day one. I wanted to be somebody that is me. I wanted to be able to serve the, the kind of clients that I had and not to struggle financially. So that was the number two. And I also wanted it to have a purpose. I wanted it to bring something with my art. So those were the motivational factors. Now, the struggles that I had is I was nobody. Nobody knew me in the market. So when I would go outreach for clients, I would hit the thing, well, who are you, right? The second thing was I was new into the area. Like at least in the Bay Area, I had connections. I had people. I could at least start with, you know, pushing my friends to buy things from me. And let me tell you, this was a blessing and it was a, it was a blessing in a disguise because it allowed me to create the marketing strategies that I, I literally have trademarked it. It's my, my thing. Nobody has ever done that in, in our wedding industry. It's very unique to me. And that's what I'm like teaching to my students as well. It's like, because of that experience, because of I struggled not being able to book clients the first six months to a year of my of my shift. Um, that allowed me to come up with a marketing strategy that nobody teaches you of when you're shifting uh, from a hobby to a business person to a, a, a paid gig how do you do that yeah you can take marketing classes you can you can you know you can apply all the things that you know on um, like a textbook offers you but when you're when you're literally doing it so it's not theory you're practicing you're scheduling appointments with you know with your event planners and or your clients you realize you're not booking and and it and it and it really affects your self esteem because you know your worth you know your you know you know who you are as an artist now luckily i i personally never um experienced imposter syndrome that has its own reasons why i never developed that because i was true and authentic now having said that that being through an authentic I never fake it till I make it I never did that that had it that had a that had a, um, how should I what should I call it that had a negative effect because I was very transparent I was like yeah I'm new and so because mm-hmm. of the line of the work that I was doing I wasn't like BSing people of of anything that didn't get me the gigs that I wanted right So I had to come up with the marketing strategy to have somebody to trust me with their events and with their luxury, because my market and my target is target audience. is very niche. It's, it's luxury to the highest you can have, right? I'm Mm -hmm. custom making every single sugar flour. I'm baking everything organically from scratch. It's very much like couture to the max. Nothing is a pre-made nothing like even from just from, you know, even my baking ingredients are freshly purchased for Mm -hmm. each you know set. So everything is so custom so that um you need testimonials and you need true testimonials. Yeah, I could have faked it. I could have had my friends buy things and then and then have it. But I didn't. I was very transparent. Mm-hmm. And that had a ne- negative effect on my business in a sense that nobody trusted. Maybe because the area that I was. Maybe because LA is so saturated with fame and all that. So um, it was a struggle. And it really put me in a position It's like, "What the heck did I do? Why did I say no to a good six figure lucrative business? Let me go back i you know i you know, and I think it was really at that moment again, I thank my partner, and I thanked my support system where my you know my friends and my family members, my cousin, my best friends my you know my partner. And me also working on myself, working on my business mindset that said, Sahar, you're here for a reason. Don't forget your, don't forget your reason. Don't, don't forget your why. Don't forget your why. So my why kept me going. My why kept me at that moment that right when you want to, um, right when you want to give up, you don't give up. That's when you see success. And, it was difficult Taylor it wasn't like all peachy it wasn't like the dream that you know oh yeah oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately the problem is the problem is I always call the Instagram feed it's so pretty that people don't see yeah Instagram feed is part of the reality it does have the luxurious side it does have the dreamy part no doubt and I am shooting for that every single day. However, what people need to understand, and this is what I tried so hard during all this time to say, people may say, yeah, she acquired such a fame and repetition and all that in two years. Wow. You know, no, I worked two decades and I worked really hard during this time to get to where I am. So no, it didn't come overnight and it wasn't all that, you know, I cried many nights and I, you know, had a lot of struggles and. You know, my savings got depleted. You know, I acquired debt for it, even though I had a very, you know, supportive background. So let's not kid ourselves. And that's the authenticity and the reality that you don't hear. At least in my case, I did not hear it. And one of the things I promised myself is, besides teaching techniques and theories, no, let's teach really people the truth and the honest truth of, how can you make it? Because there's a struggle. And And because of that, because I had the struggles, guess what? I was able to survive during the toughest times of all of our lives. I survived during COVID. Yeah, I did not make as much as money as I would have had with events, but I really survived and I was still making money. And that to me, that to me is really persistence in believing in yourself and doing the hard work and not get demotivated when you have struggles. You're always going to have struggles. You're always going to have issues. You're always going to have deadlines. You're always going to have mishaps. You're always going to have those. But if you don't give up, and I think during this whole journey, what I taught myself is, you know, become a better human, become a better human as a person in order to survive issues. So I think becoming a uh, self-made entrepreneur, you become your own um your own boss, your own critic, your own cheerleader, and you have to develop really strong mindset. And people don't, don't necessarily talk about that. They don't talk about behind the scene of, you know, and, you know, I spend a lot of my energy and time and money on, you know, receiving the right mentorship and the wrong mentorship. Let's not, let's not forget about that. I spend mm-hmm. money on the wrong things as well. And that, that taught me a good lesson. And so Anything that I've done so far, whether it worked or it not worked, I I take it as a blessing because I'm one of those people. If it didn't work, I I learn from it. I don't take a victim position. I learn yes. from it. I look at it as a blessing. And if it worked, I repeat it. I do the same thing. If it works, I repeat yes. it. If it doesn't, yes. how can I shift it? So a little bit behind the scene, which a lot of people unfortunately don't talk. And um, yeah. So that was part of the dream that is a little bit of a nightmare, but I had to have the nightmare in order to have the dream.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's such an important point. That's such an important advice. Um, And that not forgetting your why Mm -hmm. is so important for everything, including planning a wedding or running a business or being in a relationship with friends family, and significant others. Um, It's important across the board. Very much.
1: Very much, yeah. (laughs) Well,
0: we are going to take a super fast break on the wedding dish, and we will be right back. And we are back on the wedding dish. I am Sarah Alipin, and today I'm joined by my guest co-host, Taylor De La Fuente, the owner of Lemon Tree Editorial, and our amazing guest, Sahar Maserati, who is the um, I'm gonna call you an artist, but also CEO behind Sugar Alchemy. Thank you both so much for being here with me
1: today. Thank you for having me. That's a lovely, that's a lovely introduction. I'll take it in a heartbeat anytime. <laughs> I love it. Well, one of
0: the things that I noticed most about Sugar Alchemy and what you do as um, as an artist is that you're essentially converting stories into
1: edible art. What does that process look like? Um, beautiful question. And thank you for, for actually noticing that and mentioning it. As I As I I said before, for me, it was very important that I have a niche, uh, like my signature. And I always say, like, when you start in any art industry, in any form, in any medium, um, you're honored to borrow from your past, the past people that have done the work. And so I definitely did. And especially because I had some amazing mentors uh, along the two decades that I was working on my craft. I wanted it to make sure that I'm not necessarily, I'm, I'm allergic to this word copying or, or or literally taking. And and you do get influenced. There's no doubt about it. You do get in, influenced by your mentors. But my thing was, I wanted to be niche. So if somebody looks at my work, what do I represent? Now, I'm limited because let's face it, techniques are techniques and it's nobody's, let's say, innovation anymore. It has been existed. So as an artist, it was very important for me, like I remember, and I, I may be paraphrasing it, Pablo Picasso's art is theft. So mm-hmm. it is, you can't, you can't deny it, right? So it was one of, one of my important whys is like, okay, how do I create my niche? So no matter what I do, A, I can stand unique to my and, and how can I differentiate my work from anybody else? That was super important. And I think that's one of the things that I, even in my mentorship, I am so adamant. Like that is my main thing to teach and to do and to develop constantly. So I came to this idea, okay, how can I be so unique every time? And it came to me, it's converting people's story. And that became my signature look. My signature look is, that is my mission, that is my model. And if you do that, nobody can copy you. Yeah, they may copy a cake, but then it doesn't mean anything, right? So for me, there were two things. A, I don't want to copy others, and I don't, want, I, I don't appreciate people copying me. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. serve people. So this is why none of my cakes are the same everyone is very different because my goal was and and here's the thing i'm in wedding industry what is wedding wedding is uniting uh, two people a couple mm-hmm. and so what is more important than their story that is so unique nobody has ever done that at least to my understanding or knowledge and if it was i i don't know but i i felt like i'm the i'm the first person Putting it into the decorative of the edible art. Like, think about it. The cake is the first thing as a sweet gesture. They're feeding each other per se, like, like traditionally, once you become a union, that's Mm -hmm. what you feed each other. So imagine you are creating a romantic look for, for their nuptials with an edible art that represents them and them only. So I have a very, very unique consultation and I, I'm very proud of the way I do my consultations because it's very unique to that in the, that individual time and party. So I meet with the couples and I literally take inspiration from everything that I ask them to bring either or send me or what have you. So I use all those cues. I use all those things that I request from them and for their journey and their story and then only with those things that they provide to me, I convert it to the edible uh, to the edible cake, and that's basically my my style of creating each cake and so without those without those points, without those um without those dots, I won't be able to now, whether I do an editorial or whether I do a wedding or whether I do a celebration no matter what I do, this is my signature this is my look, this is what I do now. Um, if you ask me, well, are, are my technique is like to me, no, my techniques are everybody's technique, right? But the way I manipulate the techniques and shape it into like storytelling with my art is what it is. It's the same way that if you, um, look at any other artist, they use other mediums, you can say, okay, these are impressionists or these are romanticism or, or whatever it is or or this is made with watercolor or this is made with oil, you know, so we all use the same medium and the same techniques, but we all have each different look, and that was my vision behind the storytelling and and because my whole journey was affected by my own personal story I had to you know I had to turn my whole uh, my whole sugar alchemy world into that, so I felt that's very unique to me. That's very unique to me as my artistic voice, and um, and and then yet I'm not copying anybody, and those were important. So I use all the important factors um, to become who I am and be unique. And I think when you set yourself apart with something that is authentic to yourself. Um, that's where the growth happens, and that's very important in you know running your business so you're ne- you're never gonna run out of ideas and inspiration when you're authentic if you're copying you you you're the slave of what other peoples bring to you but if if you're authentic you're only a slave to yourself, and the, the possibilities are endless so
0: I absolutely and when you're copying you're never gonna do it as well as whoever no, you're copying no.
1: Good luck with that one.
0: (laughs) It does,
2: you know, I think that is such an important message to hear in the catering and the baking world, though, because I feel like that is the number one example that I think of in my head as somebody copying somebody else. Obviously you're talking about professionals copying other professionals, but I think a lot of times that happens because the couple starts that the couple says, I found this picture online. I saw this on Pinterest. My sister had that. My friend had that. Can you do that for me? And that's, that's where it starts. And there's so much pressure for the business owner To copy somebody else because the client is literally saying, "I will pay you to copy somebody else." That's hard to say no to. So,
1: well, is it hard or is it your responsibility to educate who your client is? I, you, you think I don't get that? I used to get that. It was my response. It was my responsibility to educate and say, "Um, "Well, that's lovely. That's very great that you like that." Tell me what is it about that cake that you like? But this is how I do it now. Um, to me, if you have the mindset that you're working together, it's not about being cocky about your work or like, say, you know, you think you're better than anybody. It's not about that. It's about you being so, um, you have to love your work before other people going to appreciate and respect your work. So if you represent yourself the way you are setting boundaries for your artistic vision, then people are going to respect that. As of now, I never have anybody coming with an image. And if they do, that means they don't know who I am. So, yeah, and because you set them. the boundaries for exactly. that. So they know. Exactly, exactly. And you nailed it, Taylor. It is the customer and there's nothing wrong with that. They don't know any better. This is so yeah. unique, you know? And, and inspirations are good. It's good to know why they like that. That is part of their stories, right? Why is it that they like that cake? What is it about that picture that is resonating with them? And that's your job to find that out and convert it. So
2: Yeah. Wow. You are a wealth of knowledge, Sahar, But more importantly, confidence is the word that comes to mind. Like you just stand on your own two feet and you know, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. I don't really care what other people are about. And I'm wondering if others could learn that from you. I know you mentioned like you have courses and I wasn't sure if those were courses on learning how to decorate cakes or if they were courses on learning how to be a business owner or both.
1: (laughs) Beautifully asked. Um, So part of my um, promise that I gave to myself is like, when I make this, good the way I want my business to thrive I want to become the voice for others and of course what is my expertise is my cake decorations but as I mentioned behind every every entrepreneur that made it there is a mindset and there's a business mindset right because we're running business so my goal was not only I'm going to teach the, the curriculum of how to learn the techniques, but you also need to learn the business side of it. And it starts with a mindset. So I just literally launched uh, my very first course, which is called Sugar, Fla- Sugar Flowers Poetry Making and Art Mastery, which it's, again, very unique. There are tons of other courses out there in the market. There are so many other brilliant courses out there. I had to be different. And my niche again for my courses, yeah, beside all the theory and techniques, you need to know behind the scene, you need to know about business and all that. So it's the expansion of how to become. So it's literally for people that truly want to make money with their art in a professional setup. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have your own bakery. I don't have a bakery. I have, you know, my own home studio, right? Um, So The way I looked at it is how can I bring this knowledge that took me so many years and hardship as well, how can I streamline it so others can take benefits? So it's more like a guide with explanation, like literally Mm. how you and I are talking. I have the courses developed that way, and, and it's also a learning process for me because, remember... 2019 i started this whole idea with flirting with workshops in person and i'm very much of an in person person like i love Mm -hmm. hugs and getting together again i I work in this event industry so i gotta be that way i'm I'm very extrovert you know i'm very extrovert and i know a lot of artists are introverts so that may be also an issue so i have um I have the upper hand that I love being among people and and thrive with that. And going into this virtual world wasn't. But guess what? I shifted my mindset. I figured virtual workshop is the best thing that I can offer till we shift back. So I started with doing that. It's both. It's technical as well as a very unique approach to business mindset and your own your own personal mindset. It starts with who you are being aligned with who you are loving yourself, caring for yourself before you can care for others. And that's, that's where it started. So we'll see how far I can take that mentorship, but I'm, I'm enjoying it.
0: I love love that. that. That's
1: lovely. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Well, that,
0: that was amazing. So much information packed into this episode. (laughs) Um, Across the board. So <laughs> awesome. I really appreciate um everything that you shared here today on the wedding dish, Sahar. Thank that's you. just so generous, so lovely. Thank um, you.
1: You have to be. uh, If you become a mentor, you have to be. You can't be stingy with your with your with your knowledge and experience. True. (laughs) So true. (laughs) I receive more, by the way, by giving. I do. I I gain so much. So I'm. I'm a little bit selfish about that too. But I love it. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, that's all we
0: have time for today. Thank you everyone for tuning into the Wedding Dish Podcast. And thank you, Safar, for being here today. You are so lovely, so wonderful, so talented. um, And I really appreciate you sharing your business expertise with us. Um, And I also want to thank Taylor De La Fuente, her new last name, because she just got married, and I'm getting used to not saying her old last name. (laughs) You and me both. (laughs) You know, I still say my old last name. I've been married for almost 10 years. I still say my maiden name all the time. And then I, I did it the other day. I was like, this is Sarah Hartenstein. I was like, nope. Not Sarah Hartenstein anymore. <laughs> Not my name.
1: Yes, There's some issues there, sweetie. <laughs> so, I'm so grateful to be part of this. You guys were just both so lovely, and I'm so honored and blessed uh, to share my experience. This, this, this is golden, especially this time. I we need we need some positivity. So thank you. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah,
1: I agree. Sahara, thank you. you.
2: I need to follow you on Instagram like oh. right now. So, what is your? Are you on Instagram? What is your handle?
1: Tell yeah. me all the details. Yeah, I think my obsession is is definitely Instagram because it's such a visual. Um, yes, it's such a visual. And again, I don't have a VA. It's all Mama here. So it's it's at Sugar Alchemy. It's Sugar like S U G A R, and then Alchemy is A L K Y M I. So. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Well
2: if you if you see LT editorial following you, that's
0: Absolutely. me. So we can you be we can be that. internet friends.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Anytime I'll take that. Till we can see each other in person.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, I can't yeah. wait for that.
1: Well, thank um, you, lovely ladies. This was fun. <laughs> yes, I, ho- I this hope we dished well. I hope we dished well.
0: Yes, we did. We definitely dished well. This is—we have a full table of empty plates at this point.
1: <laughs> Good one.
0: <laughs> well, Sarah, where can we so- get the show notes for today? Yes. So um, you can find the show notes on the weddingdishpodcast.com. You can also find the transcript there. Um, You can apply to be a guest speaker. You can donate to our Patreon there um, and get all kinds of juicy wedding tips and tricks from couples and wedding pros alike. Yeah. And don't forget to tune in next week, of course, where Sarah will be back dishing with another awesome guest.
2: And of course, rating and reviewing us on your favorite podcasting app while you're listening.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great rest of the day and we will see you next week. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.